When you think of uh, King David, what do you think of? What comes to your mind when you think of King David? Anybody familiar with King David? Well, what do you think of when you think about him? Mighty warrior? Yeah, good. Um, anybody uh, familiar with David and Goliath? Amazing story. <laughs> I love that story. Uh, you know, uh, King David uh, spent uh, a lot of his life on the run. There was a man that was pursuing him and trying to kill him. Uh, it was the first king of Israel. His name was King Saul. He was very jealous because God had given a prophecy that David would become king. And uh, Saul was very jealous of him and, uh, and tried to kill him so that that wouldn't happen. But God preserved David's life. David, as we know him, uh, became uh, an amazing and a, and a mighty king in Israel. You know, the nation of Israel, you know the story. They came out of Egypt, out of being slaves for 400 years. They were 400 years. They were slaves in Egypt. And, and God led them out of Egypt and brought them in to the promised land or the land of Canaan. And, and they got established there. And they, they, they drove out the inhabitants of Canaan who were very wicked and evil people doing terrible things. They were sacrificing children to to idols they were burning children on on altars and that kind of thing and and god was very displeased with those people and he said hey we're going to clean this land out i'm going to bring in my people and i'm going to show you what a godly life is like and so the nation of israel came and they drove out the canaanites and uh and but the canaanites wanted to come back in so they were constantly at war and uh sometimes israel did well and they followed god sometimes they turned away and uh, when they turned away they suffered for it, and, and God allowed their enemies to prevail over them. But at David's time, David, the Bible tells us, was a man after God's own heart. He was a godly king. He had great leadership. He was a great warrior, as uh, my wife Eileen pointed out. He was a, a military uh, giant at that time. He brought the nation of Israel from being a tiny group of people <coughs> to being the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. You know, and it wasn't an easy life that David had. He started out as a shepherd. You know, he was a, he was a little boy. He was the youngest of 12 sons. And, uh, and he was the kid. He was the runt. He was not a big guy, not a, not a guy of great stature. He wasn't tall and, and you know, he wasn't like, uh, didn't look like the captain of the football team. Okay, he looked like the manager or he looked like the he looked like he looked like, uh, you know, the guy that was, hey, you know, let me help you out. And, you know, I'm, I'll support you. But David had something that other people didn't have. And we've seen that with with Goliath. David was fearless. He trusted God. He knew that God was in control. And so when he was a little shepherd boy and a lion would come and grab one of the sheep, what would David do? He wouldn't say, oh, well, I guess I lost one of the sheep. He would say, hey, that's my sheep, <laughs> and I'm going to go get it. And he would confront the lion, and he would take the sheep from the lion, and he would kill the lion. A bear would come, <laughs> okay? David would confront the bear and take the sheep from the bear. So when Goliath, this nine-foot, three-inch-tall man, stands up and starts to curse God and the nation of Israel, David said, hey, what is this guy doing? You can't do that. And David's like a little guy. 
He's a little guy. Then David didn't have like a, a, an amazing uh, uh, artillery. You know, he didn't have a big spear. He didn't even have a good sword. He had a slingshot and five stones. And David says, I will confront that guy. And so he confronts him. He takes and he puts a stone in the sling, puts it back. And, uh, and uh, apparently David had practiced. <laughs> uh, uh, but that stone went, it hit Goliath in the forehead, knocked him out colder than a cucumber. David came to Goliath, took Goliath's huge sword, chopped off his head, <laughs> and uh, became famous, okay? We see from that point that David rose, you know, in the eyes of, uh, of men. Uh, of course, that's when Saul started to... He, he liked him because uh, David was very useful. Uh, however, he started to become jealous of him. He gave him, he gave him his daughter, his daughter Micah, uh, Michal, and uh, she became David's wife. And then Saul changed his mind and said, oh, I'm taking her back. I'm giving her to somebody else. And David went on the run. And David had a tough time. Da- you know, it's interesting when we follow David's life, we see that he actually, he actually had nine wives. He had nine different wives. He he uh, went uh, after Michael. He had Abigail, and then he had Ahinoam, um, another lady. I can't remember her name. Anyway, he ended up with, with many children, okay? And, and he kind of clawed his way. You know, he, he had been in such a difficult scenario. He clawed his way to a place where, you know, he was a leader in Israel, and Israel was finally prospering. And David... You know, he was a guy that he didn't, he didn't uh, send his army out and say, hey, you guys, you know, you go out and take care of this. David was in there with him. You know, he was a, he was a guy that was always willing to do the dirty work. However, when Israel, when the nation of Israel got to a place where they were doing good, David decided to relax a little. And I want to read you a story, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's story time. <laughs> it's story time. Okay, let's turn. If, if you want to, you can follow along with me. But we're going to read, and um, it's, it's in the uh, second, second Samuel, and it's chapter 11. This is a, it's a, it's a, it's a sad story, but it, we're going to read it together. And, um, and this is what led up to Psalm 51, Okay. And I'm going to read it out of the Revised Standard Version, which is very similar to, your, to the ESV. So I think you'll follow along, no problem. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab, who is his commanding officer, that was his general, and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. He stayed at home. It happened late one afternoon... When David rose from the couch, he was taking a nap, okay? And this is chapter 11 in 2 Samuel, and I'm on verse 2. It happened in the late one afternoon when David rose from the couch and was upon the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am with child. 
So you get the picture. David, you know, is supposed to be out on the battlefield with his warriors, and he sends his general out. He stays home, and, and he, he, he is doing things that he should not be doing, okay? We have a situation here where he takes another man's wife, and, uh, and she becomes pregnant. And David is in a dilemma at this point. So, verse 6. So David went to Joab, his general, and Uriah, who was a, an officer in his army, who was Bathsheba's husband, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked Joab, asked how Joab was doing and how the people fared and how the war prospered. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel, which is uh, their, their, their mighty, uh, it was something they took with them to war. The ark of Israel... <clears throat> And Judah dwell in booths or are camping out in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are camping out in the open field. Shall I go to my house and eat and drink and lie there with my wife? As you live and as my soul lives, I will not do this thing. So David brings Uriah back. He's hoping that Uriah will go home and that the people will say, oh, the baby is Uriah's. Okay, that's what David's hoping. But Uriah doesn't do that. He says, hey, I'm a faithful soldier. When my brothers are out on the field, I am not going to go and enjoy the comforts of civilian life. So he refuses to do that. So David, and David tries again and again. So this is what happens. I'm going to jump down here to verse 14. It says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting. And then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was also slain. Then Joab sent and told David all the news of the fighting. And he instructed the messenger because he knew David is a warrior. Okay, so he instructed the messenger because Uriah knows that, hey, this was not a smart thing that I just did, okay? He says, when you have finished telling all the news of the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? This was another battle. Did not a woman throw a millstone from the top of the wall and hit him in the head and he died? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. And so the messenger comes back and tells David this. It says, when, when the wife of Uriah, then I'm jumping down to verse 26. It says, when the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she made lamentation for her husband and when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Then chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came, and he said to him, 
there were two rich men in a city. One, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his morsel or eat at his table and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God, I anointed you king over Israel. And he tells him all the things that God did. And and David immediately repents and... uh, and he turns from his sin, and he, he confesses his sin. And this is where we get into Psalms 51. This is David's cry out to God, okay? So I set the stage here. If you would, please, pull out your, your, your outline, and we're going to just take a few points from this. And I want to talk with you about it, because there are some things that we can learn from King David. Number one is the Bible tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. You know, uh, you think, well, you know, David, this was a pretty terrible thing that David did. You know, he took another man's wife. He set that, that man up to be killed. And, uh, I mean, that's, a, that's an awful thing. I mean, has anybody here done anything that bad? Please don't raise your hand. I'm kidding. No, I, the, you know what I'm saying is that, it, hey, this, this, was, this was tough stuff. This is serious stuff. This is something that that is, is devastating. And so how can, we, how can we say that a man who's done such evil things as this could be a man after God's own heart? But you know what? God sees the beginning and he sees the end. And God sees the heart. Now, David was a human being. He was a man. He was a fallible man. And, and he, he fell. And he fell hard. Okay? And you know what? If we read the rest of the story, we see that you know, David made a conscious decision to sin, which was his right to do as a human being. You, we can all make a conscious decision to sin. But the rest of David's life, he spent on the run again from his son Absalom, who came and tried to take over the kingdom. And David paid severe consequences for the sin that he had committed. Okay, But God forgave him. And God saw his heart. And God... God even cleansed him completely and totally. And that's where, that's where we need to come into Psalms 51. And we need to take a look at this. We see David, who is a man after God's own heart. But, you know, he's a broken man after God's own heart. So if we can, if, uh, if we can go to, uh, to the slide one. And, uh, okay. The first thing that we can learn in this psalm is when we read the first two verses, you know, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, David, once he realized 
And once he confronted and, and came to grips with the fact that, you know, yes, I, I did something terrible. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to own up to it, okay? He, he decided to be all in, okay? Number, this, this verse 2 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David immediately cried out to God and said, God, I have sinned. Have mercy on me. Please don't give me what I deserve. I know what I deserve is I deserve to die. You know, if Uriah died, I need to die. Uh, he says, please, please have mercy on me. Please, please extend your grace to me. You know what? And he said, but he says, but I want you to wash me thoroughly from my sin. I don't want, I don't want any half measures. I don't want to be half washed. I want you to wash me thoroughly from my sin. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about my life. And this is a very personal story, and it's a very painful story. Some years ago, um, I was surfing on the internet, and uh, and I came on a website, and uh, and uh, and it uh, it and it intrigued me. Okay, so I went into that website, and uh, and and it was a uh, it was a porn site. Okay, and I thought, oh, that's very interesting. Okay, and uh, I thought, man, that was a kind of a dumb thing to do. Uh, I'm not going to do that again, all right? And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm on the Internet again, and uh, I think, well, I wonder, it's in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll go. I'm just going to I'm gonna just check out that word again, you know? So I go back. Now, this goes on for, uh, you know, for literally for four months. I mean, every week or so, I'm, I'm saying, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And uh, after a while... You know, I have in my mind, I'm, I'm planning in my mind the next time I'm going to get on the Internet, okay? And I'm saying, God, just deliver me from this. Just set me free from this. You know, I don't, wanna, I don't want to, to be a, a two-faced person. I, you know, everybody out, out in public, they see this nice Christian guy, you know, this family man, um, you know, who loves his wife and, uh, and, uh, and is, is, you know, honest in his dealings and that kind of thing. But I, when I look in the mirror, I'm seeing a hypocrite. I'm seeing somebody who, you know, when, when, when I'm alone and nobody else is around, I'm doing something that I don't want anybody to see, okay? And, uh, and so I try and I try and I try to, to stop, and, uh, and I can't. And I had to come to a point where I had to say, you know what? I'm not going to take any half measures. I'm, I keep trying, but I can't stop. I need to tell the truth. For me, it was like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Have you ever tried that? Ever held a beach ball underwater? It'll wear you out, okay? It'll wear you out. Uh, that ball wants to come up. It wants to be exposed to the light, okay? Uh, I decided that hey, I was going to come into the light, and so I told my brother. And then my brother says, hey, Rod, you know, you took the first step. Now you got to tell everybody else. You got to tell Eileen. <laughs> and you got to tell your kids. And you got to tell other people close to you. Okay? And you got to come clean with this. Okay? You got to burn that bridge behind you. You can't have that secret anymore. It has to come out into the light. You have to bring it out into the light. And, you know, when I did that, I experienced something like what David experienced. When I decided to get all in and cry out to God for mercy. I said, God, I don't want this, you know, but I want to, 
I want, to, I want you to wash me thoroughly from my sin. When I came into the light, something amazing happened. And, uh, and I was able to get victory that I could not get when I was in the darkness. You know, when I was hiding, when I was holding that beach ball under the water, I had to come out and uh, take that full measure. Okay? So that's the first one. Be all in when you cry out to God for mercy. We can learn that from David. I learned that from David, and, uh, and I found out that there's blessing in it. The next point is, <clears throat> we need to own up to our sin and take responsibility. You know, David says, For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, I need to be willing to be honest. And sometimes that's hard. You know, I need to be willing to be honest with others. And I need to be willing to be honest with myself. Because I can, I can sometimes, you know, tell myself that, hey, you know what? Uh, that sin really isn't all that bad. You know, there's a lot of other people doing things that are worse than what I'm doing. Okay? And, and we have a tendency when we measure our sin, okay? I have a tendency, and I'm telling you this. That when I measure my sin, see, I look for somebody who's doing something a lot worse than I did, okay? And then I say, hey, that's, I'm going to use that as the standard, okay? And God is saying, no, Rod, I want you to own up and say, what are you doing? Are you being honest? Are you, know, are you being upright? Are you, you know, I want you, to, I want you to be intellectually honest, and I want you to be emotionally honest as well. And so God calls us to own up to our sin and to take responsibility for it. That, you know what? And, and God is the judge, okay? And when we meet God, you know, it's not going um, to be somebody else that we're going to have to answer to. It's going to be God and God alone. Because, see, if, if, you know, even, you know, my wife Eileen is like, you know, she's, she's a lovely, and once you get to know Eileen, she's wonderful. And, and she's, I mean, uh, even if you don't get to know her, but when, when you get to know her, she's more wonderful. <laughs> I try anyway now if I measure Eileen knows me and I know her okay so but you know we can we can you know as wonderful as Eileen is she might have a fault okay and uh and I can always say you know Eileen you know if she says Rod you know you got to come straight with this I can always say well honey you know um you know you're not perfect in this little area and uh you know but uh, so I can weasel my way out, all right? You, you get where I'm going? See, but with God, we can't do that, can we? See, because God is totally, totally righteous. He is the righteous judge. He is the only one that has the right to judge us, okay? And he is the one who can extend mercy and grace, or he can extend judgment. And so I have to say, you know, I'm going to come face-to-face, and I'm going to take total responsibility for that, and I'm going to come to God with that. And I'm going to use God as my standard. Okay? All right. Let's go on to the next one. We need to realize that God is the only one that can make things right. Um, and uh, <clears throat> this is a great. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. God is the only one who can blot out our iniquities. You know what? Jesus came into the world to restore all things. Jesus knew that, I, that I'm a sinner. He knew that David was a sinner. You know, David looked forward to Jesus. He looked forward to the redemption that he would receive in and through the blood of Jesus. Even as David was Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather, he looked forward to the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. Because, see, Jesus is totally God, so he's totally good, totally perfect, okay? But he's totally man as well. He walked in the flesh just like you and I walk in the flesh. We all come from one flesh. We all have one common ancestor, Adam, you know? And we can even trace back to Noah, Shem, him, and Japheth. And so we can go, you know, but we have one ancestor. We're all human beings. And Jesus came and he took on that flesh. And, and he lived among us and he gave himself as a sacrifice. He took all our sins on himself when he was put on the cross and he paid the price. He purchased our salvation on the cross. And God is the only one that can do that. You know, sometimes we look for other ways to get right. You know, sometimes I want to be, you know, I want to learn enough. And there's nothing wrong with learning. We can learn and we can grow. Sometimes I want to, you know, uh, you know, get to know another person and, and, uh, and have a relationship where they can encourage me and I can encourage them. And that's good. But that cannot take care of my sin. Okay? It can be helpful. It can be encouraging. It's like when Muta and I meet together, we encourage and we stir up one another to love and good works. But you know what? Muta and I remind each other constantly that, you know, the only one that can take our sin is Jesus. And we can encourage each other in that. And we encourage each other upward into Christ. And so we need to realize that God is the only one that can make things right. There is no other way. There is no other way. It's only by the blood of Jesus. Okay? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Okay? No one can come to the Father except through Jesus because Jesus is the one who made the way. He paid the price so that when we meet God in judgment, he can say, hey, you know what? I'm looking at Jesus. I'm seeing Jesus. I'm not seeing Rod. I'm not seeing Rod with his faults. I'm not seeing David with his faults, King David. I'm seeing Jesus. That's what I see. And that's a beautiful thing. Let's go on to the next point. <clears throat> We need to recognize the connection between your heart, the Holy Spirit, and your salvation. Um, you know, it, David cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Now, the Holy Spirit can do in me what I cannot do in myself. Okay? I cannot do through education, I cannot do it through power, I cannot do it through money. But the Holy Spirit can do something in me that I cannot do in and of myself or anybody else. And the Holy Spirit can come and live in me. But you know where the... Uh, and I want you to say this with me. And if you would, please, because this is a key point. Uh, when we come to Jesus, He gives us His Holy Spirit. So if you can say, the Holy Spirit 
lives in human hearts. Can we say that together? The Holy Spirit lives in human hearts. That's where the Holy Spirit comes. This is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of Jesus Christ comes and indwells us. He can cleanse us from our sin, and He can even uh, take and work in us so that I don't sin, so that I can live a life where I'm having victory over sin. And if I sin and I fall, I confess my sin, and I ask Jesus to forgive me, and I get up again and I continue on, not sinning, not being trapped in the sin. I don't have to hold the beach ball underwater. I don't have to hide that sin. I can confess it, and he can clean it up daily, moment by moment. He's always working and moving, but he lives in human hearts. He lives in your heart, and he lives in my heart if we accept Jesus. If we come to Jesus, if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, let's go on to the next point. We need to look to the future no matter how bad your past has been. Okay? Now, you know what? This is, a, this is an awesome thing, and I love this. It says, then, this is David, okay? After he has fallen on his face and he's done this terrible thing with Bathsheba and Uriah, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. When we open our lips and we praise God, when we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we confess our sin to him, and we confess that God is the one that can redeem us and forgive us, we can look to the future no matter what's happened in our past. And you know what? I think God put this story in the Bible for us as human beings to get a hold of. He wants us to understand that even though as David did this, this terrible, terrible sin, that we can be totally and completely cleansed and redeemed in and through the blood of Jesus. Jesus can cover even that. And so no matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, Jesus has got it. He can cover it. We can look to the future. We can look to a beautiful future in heaven with God and with each other and encouraging and building each other up and, uh, and walking in victory. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, let's go on to the next, the next one. We need to understand that we cannot, you need to understand that you cannot earn forgiveness. God wants your heart. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You know, sometimes I get in my mind that, hey, you know what? If I'm good enough, if I do enough good things, if I give enough money, if I, you know, help little old ladies across the street, if, uh, if I do this, this, and this, you know, God will accept me. And God loves all those things, okay? God wants me to help little old ladies across the street. You know, I, and we don't do that anymore because they drive. But you know what I'm saying? God wants me, but he wants me to do things that are really nice. Uh, what's the nicest thing you can think of that? Anybody have a really nice gesture that comes up that you can do? 
I see that. What's that? Donations. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I can give money. I can give money. I can give money. Somebody asks me for money. I can give. I can be generous that way. I can give a lot of money to the church, which I encourage you to do. Uh, but uh, you know what? Sometimes I think that if I do those things, that that'll make me okay with God. And God says, you know, I want you to do all those things because they're good for everybody. They're good for you. But you know what? Your salvation and your forgiveness does not hinge on that. Your salvation and your forgiveness hinges on one simple thing, and that is confessing with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that he will forgive your sins. That is what makes us right with God, and God wants us to understand that because as human beings, you know, I want to earn it. I want to be able to go to God and say, God, you owe me. You know, you got to let me, you know, have eternal life and come into heaven and you know because i'm such a good person and you know god says you know hey rod i want you in heaven and i want you all that stuff but listen buddy all your good deeds all your stuff i own it all anyway i gave it to you anyway anything that you give me you know i've already given you and the bible tells us that our righteousness is even as filthy rags to god you know that hey no matter how good i am uh you know i can't be good enough and God wants us to understand that. He wants us to be good, but it's not our good works or our good deeds or our good giving that gets us right with him. It's the blood of Jesus. And so he wants us to understand that we cannot earn our forgiveness. God wants our heart. And when I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. Now, you know what? The Bible uses marriage as an analogy many times and it's so handy that eileen is here with me right now because you know um they they they, we are the bride of christ okay now what god wants is our heart what i want is i want eileen's heart okay now eileen met a bunch of other losers before she met me okay uh but she chose me out of all those guys okay now it was eileen's heart that 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 turned toward me now if i could make her if I could, if she was a little robot, you know, and I could switch a little switch in her and, and say, you know, I love Rod, I love, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't be a very fulfilling relationship, you know. But the fact that she chose me with her heart out of all the other choices she had, and some of those guys were decent guys, I'll say that, okay. But she chose me. That means everything, okay. God wants our heart, okay. He, that's, that's the bottom line. He wants our heart. Okay. Lastly, lastly, and this is key for us. We need to get our focus off from ourselves and on to blessing others. You know, David understood this. He says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. David started looking out. He didn't, you know, what I have a tendency, and I don't know if, I mean, if you're like me, I can, I can pout a little bit. You know, I can mope a little bit. I can, I can, you know, sit and say, oh, man, I'm such a bad guy. I blew it. I messed up, you know, and I wring my hands and, you know, and I, I think, oh, I better not do anything because if I do, I'll mess up. I better not go outside because I might do something wrong. I better not do this or that, you know. And God's saying, get your eyes off yourself and start looking out to others and see that there is a world out there that needs Jesus and I've given you 
everything you need to express the love of Jesus into this world. So take your eyes off yourself and focus on being a blessing to others. Okay? So let's end with this together. Let's make this declaration, okay? If you would say with me, keep your eyes on Jesus. Ready? Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's where God wants us to go. And it's just so good opening this passage of Scripture. It's a, it's a painful it's a painful scripture, and it's a painful story. But you know, it has, a, it has a redemptive message, and God wants us to know and understand that He is a God of grace and forgiveness and mercy, and it's through the blood of Jesus that we can be redeemed just like David has been redeemed. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time with Relevant Church. I thank you for the ministry here. I thank you, God, for this precious group of believers, Lord, these, these wonderful people that, that love you and, and are reaching out with your love into this broken world. And, Father, I pray that you will pour your blessings on this church. And even as we've heard today that, you know, there is total grace and mercy and forgiveness no matter how bad we've messed up, no matter how bad our sin, you are the God of all grace. And we pray that we can take that into our hearts right now, in this day, walk in the victory that you've given us in Jesus Christ our Lord.